Well, good evening. <clears throat> Can you all still hear me okay with the mic this way? Because I'm a little shorter than Josh. Uh, <clears throat> well, I figured, but I just wanted to make sure that if, it, if I don't need to mess with it, I don't need to mess with it, you know? So, um, well, great. Well, I am grateful to be here with you all. Um, this series has been so encouraging already so far as um, we're only four books in and we go to uh, the fifth book, the book of Deuteronomy, the uh, conclusion to the Pentateuch or the, the Torah. Um, and Deuteronomy is, is really interesting. Uh, I, I'm going to bring this up sort of at my own risk because I know where I live, the state that I live in. Um, but this weekend is, if you're a sports fan, normally, sorry for some of you all, one of, if not the best weekend in sports. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it is nonstop college basketball action. And it is a ton of fun. The games are constant. There's so much parody that's going on. We don't know who's going to win. Honestly, regardless of who the seeds are, it seems like it gets crazier and crazier every single year. Um, <clears throat> but as I was thinking through Deuteronomy and I was thinking through March Madness, I, I kind of was, was making a connection because what's going on in Deuteronomy, I think looks a lot like what's going on in the locker rooms as the games are getting ready to be played on maybe that Thursday or Friday. I envision these coaches, especially for maybe these schools that don't normally make the tournament, these coaches are in these locker rooms and they have to say something to these players, right? Because this is potentially the last game they get to play. Everything they've done up to this point has led them to this moment in this all season, in this town, to play in this game, right? This is what they've been working for all season long. And the coach has to say something. He has to prepare them for this huge monumental moment that they're about to, that they're about to engage in. That's the context and the scene that we have here in Deuteronomy. Because see, as we've gone through these last several books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy, it has led the people of Israel to this point. From the moment in Genesis 12 where God told Abraham that he was going to give him and his offspring a land to possess, every story that has come on since then, from the time that they were enslaved in the Exodus and God brought them out, to crossing the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, to actually getting to this point at one point and then not being faithful and them having to wander through the wilderness in the book of Numbers, they are now back again after 40 years. They're about to enter into the land. And what the book of Deuteronomy is, is what Moses has to say to the people right before they enter in. You can see that connection between this and what's going on for a coach before his team is about to enter into the biggest game of the year, right? They're about to finally enter into the promised land and they have a mission to do. They have something to accomplish. That's the scene that we have set here in the book of Deuteronomy. They are in the land of Moab, they are just beyond the Jordan, and they're finally preparing to enter into the land. <clears throat> before I uh, get into some passages that I think are really, really important for us to, to look at closely to help us really understand what's going on in Deuteronomy. 
to really get a good grasp of how Deuteronomy functions is we need to kind of have somewhat of an idea of the structure of Deuteronomy. And this is how I would break it down in order to help us digest sort of what's going on. You can break it down into maybe a total of six sections. There's this preamble in the first five verses that Moses um, is, is speaking. And then from then on, through all the way through chapter four, there's this historical prologue. Moses is recounting everything that has gone on for the point that they're at. That's what happens in those next few chapters. And then in chapters 5, pretty much all the way through 11, and then in chapters 12 through 26, we have Moses laying forth for the people these stipulations. Because what we have to understand about Deuteronomy is it's incredibly covenantal. People... And when we talk about a covenant, what happens with a covenant is God is making promises to the people that require the people to give a response. And the way in which they respond is going to dictate what kind of covenant this is, whether it's a good one for the people of Israel or whether it's a bad one. And in chapters 5 and then in 11, we get these general stipulations that the people need to be adhering by. And then in chapters 12 through 26, we get these specific stipulations, more of what we would consider to be laws, laws on divorce and things of that nature that Moses is going to elaborate on. And then we get chapter 27 through 28, which is blessings and curses. So blessings being, this is what's going to happen to you if you stay obedient and you adhere to the stipulations of the covenant. Curses being, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't. And then we get what we would consider maybe an epilogue towards the end from chapter 29 through the end of the book. There's some final things that are included here in an epilogue. It's a final exhortation from Moses. It's Moses transferring leadership of the Israelites from himself to Joshua. It's a song. And at the very end, it's Moses dying before they enter into the land. So these these six sections kind of help us see what's really going on right before they enter into the land and the things that Moses has to say to the people in order for them to be successful and to flourish in the land. I've grouped those six into three sections for you all tonight to try to help us digest it. We're going to dive into three different passages from those sections in order to help us see what is it that Moses really wants the people to do and to know as they're about to finally enter into the promised land, and what is it gonna take for them to really be successful and obedient to God? So, if you've got your Bibles, the first part we're going to start in is Deuteronomy chapter four, and that is gonna start in verse 32. As I told you all, those first two sections, we have that preamble with the first five verses, and then from then on, all the way through chapter four is a historical prologue. So one way that we could look at this very first section is Moses is reminding the people of where they've been and what they're they're about to do. And as we get to the end of chapter four, Moses has somewhat of a challenge for them here in verse 32 through 40. So if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along with me as I read. For ask now of the days that are past, 
which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on the earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving inheritance as you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So I told you that pretty much one through chapter four is this historical prologue. This is Moses recounting for the Israelites all that they have been through as they've come through the wilderness. And as we get to the end, Moses has some questions for them. And I want us to observe the purpose that he's asking of these questions, right? He's asking them, you need to ask of yourself, has any other people ever witnessed their God speaking from the midst of the fire and not be swallowed up? Have they, have they ever seen these mighty acts of God working on behalf of them, reaching with an outstretched arm to bring them out of another nation and out of slavery as he has done for the Israelites? You see, here's what Moses is asking them to do by asking these rhetorical questions, because he knows the answer. He is asking them or telling them they need to remember the faithfulness of their God. <clears throat> and that remembrance is supposed to draw to them two very specific things. The first is that he alone is God, right? We read that uh, right there at the end of uh, verse 35, right? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. See, the Israelites need to be reminded of this and they need to remember it as they enter into the land because they are going into a land of other peoples and other gods. And if they are not regularly reminding themselves and they're not recalling it to memory that there really is only one God, they will be tempted to follow something else. And the second thing is that, right, this God, we need to be reminded that their God is near to them. He is near to them, right? This God worked on their behalf in the nation of Egypt and brought them out. <clears throat> and then he is loving to them. Look at verse 37. Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power. This God is the only God and he is a God that is near to them. And they need to be reminded of that because as they're going into a nation of people who are stronger and mightier than they are, they need to be reminded that their God is near to them and fighting for them. This is really good for us to remember. Remembering in general is something good for us to remember. 
When we talk about remembering something or memory or recalling something, this isn't necessarily something that we explicitly talk about in Christian practice. We more of kind of cover it implicitly when we regularly are reminding ourselves of, of the truths of scripture or the truths of the gospel. We do this on Sunday mornings when we gather to hear the word preached. We do it together when we pray, when we do Bible studies together. Like we, we, we practice this implicitly, but we don't necessarily talk about it explicitly how important it is for us to be remembering who God is and what he's done for us. And that's what Moses is calling for them to do in this moment as they're about to enter into the land. To look back at our analogy from March Madness coaches, I'm sure in some of those locker rooms, some of those coaches are saying, hey, you need to remember what it is that got you here. What got you to this point? What has made you successful enough to be in this position to make the tournament? And what Moses is saying to the Israelites is, you need to remember what has got you to this point, and that is the God who has chosen to love you. You see, because when we remember something, it plays into our beliefs. See, the way that we live our lives, our ethics, our morality, however you want to define that, that is directly shaped and influenced by what we are of the universe about God. If we believe that he is holy, that he is mighty, that he's creator of the universe, that he loves us, that causes us or should cause us to live in a very specific and certain way. But so much about what we believe about God, especially when it's tough, especially when the moments are difficult, is by what we remember about who he is and what he has done for us. <clears throat> This is something that we have to be practicing and is practical for us regularly. We have to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel in our day-to-day -day lives. When we're tempted to sin, when life is really hard and we don't know how to respond, when it feels like God isn't near to us, the way that we practically respond in our belief about God is by remembering who he is and what he's done for us. We have to be regularly reminded that this is the God who convicted me of sin at one point in my life and saw fit to reveal that to me, me, drew me close to himself and caused me to believe in who he is and that he loves me. Our memory of those things stirs us to be faithful. So Moses is calling them to remember the faithfulness of their God. And that's the purpose of that historical prologue that we kind of get in these first four chapters. <clears throat> but then we move into more, some of this more covenantal type stuff, right? We get these general and specific stipulations from Moses on what the people need to be doing as they enter into the land. What is their uh, responsibility? What is God requiring of them in this covenant? And so if you have your Bible still, turn to chapter 10. <clears throat> And we are going to start in verse 12. I told you there's kind of two different sections here from five through about chapter uh, 11 or 12 are these general stipulations. And then from 12 all the way up to 27 is going to be more specific stipulations, things like, um, like the laws that they're going to be expected to keep, these ceremonial observances, things of that nature. But from five and through 11 or 12, Moses is giving them general stipulations, things that they need to know as they enter into the land. And so he tells them one of the things that they need to do here in chapter 10. So if you will follow with me in verse 12. And now, Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who, has, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear, he is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. <clears throat> so in these general stipulations, Moses is telling the people what God requires of them as they enter into the land. This is, what they, this is their end of the covenant to keep up. And here in this section, <clears throat> Moses is telling them, what does the Lord require of them? Love and devotion. He is asking for them to live with a love for their God. And we would normally think that God's requiring of them numbers, and we're going to cite, that's what we've been probably reading since the end of Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, we've seen it in numbers, and we're going to see it again in the specific stipulations in Deuteronomy but really what Moses really is getting to the heart of, and he says it over and over again in chapter six and chapter seven, here in chapter 10, and he ends it in chapter 11, really what they need to be doing as they go into the land is to love their God and be wholly devoted to him. And this language really shouldn't be that foreign to us. You don't have to turn there, but Moses is really just the first of a long line of people who use this language and say it over and over again. Listen to the prophet Samuel, right? This is right after Saul has sinned. He's fallen short. And so this is in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And the prophet Hosea says the same thing in Hosea chapter six. <clears throat> this is what Hosea says to the people uh, in, in chapter six, verse six. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And just for good measure, we get it again in another prophet in Micah chapter six, Six, eight. This is going to be also probably familiar to most of us. But in Micah 6, 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, Moses really understands that more than any sort of empty ceremonial practice that the people may do as they're trying to follow these specific stipulations that he's going to give 
is that God desires important than any of and their devotion before anything else. That is more important than any form of empty ceremonial practice that they could ever do. Their love should lead them to ceremonial obedience. They need to love him first. God is caring about the status of their heart. Jesus is gonna say very, very similar things. As a matter of fact, the, the passage that we read in Hosea, he quotes in Matthew chapter nine. This is directly after he's called Matthew the tax collector to be a disciple when he's now eating and at a party with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees are wondering what is wrong with him. And Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go in and see what this means. You see, they, it's so easy for us to miss or to convince ourselves or to forget that what God really wants from us is love and devotion to him. And any sort of obedience that we have is going to flow directly from that. <clears throat> But he sees this same thing in us today, right? This is still true. God knows our hearts. He sees our worship. He, sees, he hears our prayers. He sees the way that we serve. And so this sort of thing that we, hear, that we see here from Moses in chapter 10 is still true of us. He requires our love and devotion before anything else. We can... It's very easy for someone to say simple and empty prayers or to serve and to seem like we're doing this for Jesus, but God knows the heart. And Moses is reminding them of that. Look in verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He is asking for them to soften their hearts. And this is a little bit difficult for us to think about because are we capable of really softening our own hearts? Are we capable of stirring up a love for God on our own? Moses kind of leaves us in this section with a little bit of question, same question. But as the Bible often works, Moses is gonna answer that same question. So as we move forward in Deuteronomy in, in 26 and 20, or 27 and 28, we're gonna get these blessings and curses, right? How, what will happen for the people depending upon their response. Either they will be blessed by God or they will be cursed by God if they don't obey his command. But as we turn, and you can turn in your Bibles here to chapter 29. <clears throat> Because as much as the general stipulations of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might is encouraging, we're left to wonder, how is it that we produce a love for God, right? Or what happens when our hearts wander, which happens to a lot of us, and spoil alert, it's gonna happen to the Israelites. They're going to wander, which they've already been doing for 40 years. <clears throat> So look, at, look for me in verse 29, because Moses seems to have identified this problem as well. In chapter 29, starting in verse one, these are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. And look at verse four. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart 
to understand or eyes to see, excuse me, or ears to hear. Well, this is a little bit difficult because in chapter 10, he's told them to love them, to love him, sorry, with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. But in verse four here, he tells us, but to this day, the Lord has them a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And if this is true of them, how are they to love God? How are they to be faithful as they enter into the land? This seems a little bit difficult. Well, the good news is Moses has an answer. If you'll turn over to the next chapter in chapter 30, Moses is going to answer this question, and in a lot of commentators, you'll find that this section here is described as the gospel of Moses, right? Moses seems to be communicating some very specific gospel-type principles over the course of this chapter. And follow along with me for the first eight verses of chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and look in verse two, and return to the Lord your God. See, Moses seems to know that they're not gonna hold up their end of the covenant. But in verse two, he says, and when you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And this is where it gets good in verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord. Moses, his commandments that I command you today. Moses knows the answer to how the love of God is produced, and that is is that God is going to do that for them. He is going to soften their hearts. He is going to change their hearts so that they can love him. He is going to be the one who convicts them of their sin, shows them that they, they they have done something wrong and that they need him. And that is going to be what pushes them and allows them to love their God and obey the statutes and the commands of the Lord. In section three right here, we're reminded that we have to cling to his mercy. We need God to work for us. And this language really isn't that foreign, right? Let's look at, well, you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. In Ephesians chapter two, right, we talked about the fact that they can't circumcise their own hearts. This should remind us of something. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following, sorry, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, Paul is describing people who cannot love God because their hearts are stubborn, they're uncircumcised, they can't love God. But verse four, right? Which lines up very, very well with what we read in verse six of chapter 30. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's a very, very quick and easy parallel to what we see in verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. One of the commentators I read, Daniel Block, says this, Paul and Moses agree that divine salvation is not won through obedience to the law. Rather, willing obedience to the law is proof that one has accepted by faith the grace that God has offered. Moses understands the same things about God that Paul seems to understand when he's explaining it to the Ephesians. They need God to change them. But Moses makes a final call to the Israelites. Here at the end of chapter 30, I will have you read with me the last five verses. That's 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. And these last two verses are huge. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the, Lord swore, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. <clears throat> you see, he makes this final call to them, and it's very easily applicable to us. Moses tells them that they have, to, they have a choice between life and death, and he's relating that directly to, they will be, right? If they're obedient, they're gonna be blessed and they're gonna live. If they're not, They will be cursed and it will result in being cast out and passing away. And we have the same choice. We can choose life. And the way that we do it is by holding fast, the way that Moses asks them to hold fast to their God, we have to hold fast to Jesus who has rescued us from sin. And as Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, while we're holding fast to him and he is holding fast to us, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. 
If we are holding fast to him, he is holding fast to us and he is stirring up in us the ability to love him with everything that we have. Let's pray. God, thank you for the book of Deuteronomy for a reminder of how faithful you are to your people. God, Moses has commanded his people to remember all that the Lord has done for them. And I pray that that is something that we do today. God, if, we are, if we're Christians, if we're believers, we have been rescued from sin and death. God has changed and circumcised our hearts so that we have the ability to love him, to repent of our sin, and to hold fast to him. And may we be remembering all that he has done for us. So that, may we, so that we may be loving him with everything that we have, remaining faithful. God, we love you. We praise you for your word. And thank you for the book of Deuteronomy. We love you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.